We looked at uh, Jesus Christ the righteous, and we began our study on Jesus Christ our advocate. And um, it's important for us to understand what it is that God's Word has to say on uh, Jesus Christ our advocate. Uh, the re- one of the reasons why, and I, I think I brought this up, was that um, because we sin, even though we are forgiven of our sin, um, we still have that sin nature, and uh, occasionally we still, you know, we still fall into sin, or we become tempted, or whatever. We need an advocate to be there, but for us, before our holy Father in heaven. And I think I talked about he's not so much a lawyer per se, because I know that's how he's often portrayed as an advocate, but really it's more about his high priesthood, and that's what we're going to look at a little deeper as we get into this lesson. Also, something else that we needed to know as far as Jesus Christ as our advocate is concerned uh, is that we simply need to know. We need to know what what it means. What does the Bible mean about him being our advocate? And what is the reason for this? Why why do we need to know these things? Well, um, if you read through 1 John and if you read through paying attention, uh, John is warning us about something, isn't he? Uh, he's warning us about um, the Antichrist, chapter 2, verse 18. He's warning us about the seducers, chapter 2, 26. He's talking about the children of the devil, First uh, John 3, 10. He's talking about trying the spirits because of the false prophets, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He tells us that the very last verse of this epistle to keep ourselves from idols, chapter 5, verse 21. So there's there's a danger, there's a risk. And that's what he's trying to warn us about. Uh, due to the false teaching, due to the seducers who seek to usurp uh, the office of, uh, of advocate or mediator or whatever it is, uh, they seek to, to usurp that from Christ. They want to be the preeminent one and take away from Jesus Christ the preeminence. Now, that's just a very plain statement that I make. But it, it, that is true. They may not say it in so many words, but that's what really is going on. Uh, there are unscrupulous Gnostics out there who are seeking the preeminence in your life uh, for themselves. And they're trying to, even though they may give lip service to Jesus, in reality they are trying to minimize Jesus. And... Um, This is something that John wants us to be aware of. And uh, so, I'm not really totally sure where I left off. I have an asterisk. I think this is where I left off. But um, in the minds of many, and I've used this particular denomination as an example, but this isn't the only denomination that is this way. In the minds of many, this preeminence is now seated in Rome rather than in heaven. Okay, so that's what we're going to pick up. Uh, this is the indoctrination of what uh, the Revel- book of Revelations calls the Nicolaitans, uh, where the clergy has rule over the laity or the common 
common man in the church. And this has gone on for centuries uh, under the guise of Christianity. In fact, if you pay attention to the news and stuff, when the world refers to the church, who is it that they have in mind? Well, it's Roman Catholicism. It's always, you always see, you know, the Pope or you always see Rome whenever the world talks about the church. And this will continue to evolve on into the tribulation period uh, to where the mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth that Revelation 17 talks about is the, uh, is the uh, ruling religious body in league with the Antichrist for a little while. Okay, for a little while. Uh, this leaven of the Nicolaitans not only infects the Church of Rome, but it also infects a lot of uh, Christian churches as well. Also a lot of um, what I would call pseudo or false Christian churches, and one of which is based in Utah. Okay, They also have a very similar Nicolaitan system that they have established. Now, when I use the term church, I hope you guys understand that I'm talking about, you know, what the world considers the church. You know, Christendom is another way to put it. Um, of course, we know what, we know what the true church is, don't we? That's the body of Christ. It's, it's born again believers. Uh, that's all over the planet. You know, those are, that's, that's the true church. But, uh, when, when the world speaks of the church, that's generally what they're thinking of. They're thinking of a religion and not so much a relationship. And I bring all of this up because this is what John, this is, this is really one of the main intentions of John in this epistle is to warn us of these that threaten our fellowship, our relationship with God. And they do this by uh, their knowledge. That's what Gnosticism is. It's all about knowledge. And so they want to present to you a different, a different knowledge other than what the Word of God says. Second Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 3 warns, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that, bu- that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And there are, they do have a huge following. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words uh, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And that's generally what we're seeing in a lot of Christianity today. You know, there's even in uh, certain uh, uh, certain churches that do preach the Bible, uh, there is also pastors who become uh, high-minded, Elevated in their own opinion. And so they become lords over God's heritage, like 1 Peter 5, 3 talks about, instead of being shepherds. Instead of being shepherds. Uh, and so they, they, whether they do this wittingly or not, in the minds of the people, and this is the risk, in the minds of the people, they take the place of Jesus Christ. 
And sometimes people are not even aware that this happens. They become infatuated with a pastor because of his charisma or his personality or their tots in a particular denomination. So that is a risk. According to the Bible, my advocate is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He's also your advocate. He's my mediator. He's my high priest. It is by him that I have access to the Father. I don't need to go through Pastor Brian. I don't need to go through a pope or a priest. And guess what? Neither do you. Neither do you. Um, And Jesus Christ, quite frankly, is the only one certified by God to be my advocate. Okay? He's the only one certified by God to be my advocate. Now, I know I'm talking to the choir here, but there are a lot of people who do not know that. And there are a lot of people who are not taught that. They're not taught that. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, uh, Ephesians 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So we have access to the Father through the Spirit because of Jesus Christ. Not a pope, not a pastor, not a reverend. Or anything. So on your study guide, I'm thinking this is where we're at. The only one qualified and ordained by God to be our advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. Did you find your spot? Diane, is that where I'm at? Okay. What, page six? Okay. I was, I was thinking that's where I'd left off. Or uh, qualified and ordained. Qualified and ordained. On your study guide, this is the importance of the doctrine of Christ's advocacy. For the Gnostic will attempt to woo you away from Jesus Christ to place you under their control and authority. And not to get on a soapbox, but folks, if you're paying attention with what's going on in the world today, there is a big, big push to put the common person under the control and the authority of the elite. There's a big push going on, and a lot of people are not even aware of it. It's going on socially, it's going on politically, and it's going on religiously. And there are a lot of people who are just like sheep being gathered into their fold. On your study guide, once the sinner has been proclaimed justified by God, his judge through faith in Jesus Christ alone, Romans 5.1, The sinner is now a son and has entered the family of God and the household of God and now joint heirs before the Heavenly Father. That's what we just read in Ephesians. 
So we don't need an earthly priesthood to be our mediator. We don't need a pope or a priest or or a um, pastor to be our advocate before our holy God. We have an advocate. And his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which is an eternal priesthood in the heavens. But many are not taught that. Many are not taught that. On your study guide, uh, another heresy presented by the religious Gnostic of all faiths is the concept of a repetitious justification. Repetitious justification through the virtue of perpetuation. I know, these are big words. But I'm using their terminology. Repetitious justification through the virtue of perpetuation. So it's a perpetual, repetitious justification. Alright? This is a false doctrine that assaults the work of propitiation that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Now, let me read from one of their their teachers, one of their theologians, a fellow by the name of, I don't know if if this is on your study guide or not, John A. O'Brien wrote in a book called The Faith of Millions. And this is what he said. On the cross, Christ really shed his blood and was really slain. In the Mass, however, there is no real shedding of blood, no real death, but the separate consecration of the bread and of the wine symbolizes the separation of the body and blood of Christ and thus symbolizes his death upon the cross. And this is what he says. The Mass is the renewal and perpetuation of the sacrifice of the cross in the sense that it offers Jesus anew to God and thus commemorates the sacrifice of the cross, reenacts it symbolically and mystically, and applies the fruits of Christ's death upon the cross to individual souls. All the efficacy of the Mass is derived, therefore, from the sacrifice of Calvary. Can you pick up on the double speak that's going on there? So really, what is efficacious? Is it the blood of Christ on Calvary or is it the Mass? That's what Hebrews 6.6 6 says in uh, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to open shame. That's exactly what they're doing. They're just simply re-crucifying Jesus Christ every time they have Mass. And of course, the Catholic Church specifically says that Christ does not die again. His death is once for all, but there's this double talk. And that's on your study guide. We see the double talk of the Gnostic because Catholicism goes on to teach through his intercessory ministry in heaven and through the Mass... Jesus continues to offer himself to his Father as a living sacrifice, and he does so in what the church specifically states is a bloody manner. 
So in, out of one side of their mouth, they say that Jesus does not die again, but yet they say on the other side of their mouth that through the mass, mass Jesus continues to offer himself to the Father. I think they speak with fork and tongue. On your study guide, uh, four times is your blank. In the book of Hebrews, we are taught about Jesus sitting down. When somebody sits down, that means the job is over. All right? So, number one. In Hebrews 10, 9 through 14, as the one who has completed the sacrificial work, as your blank, having by his one offering perfected forever them that are sanctified. So I don't know if I've got the passage on your worksheet or not. Good. Hebrews 10, 9, then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What does it say there? Once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified now what does that do about their perpetual their perpetual um, justification doctrine it blows it right out of the water just that one verse but let's continue in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 this is your blank as the sin purger. What? Who is greater than all the prophets and even the angels being the brightness of his glory. So Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. God who at sundry times and in thy diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high once and for all done that's why he sat down that's why he sat down Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 2 he is seen sitting on the right hand as the high priest who is the minister is your blank of the sanctuary and true tabernacle in heaven Hebrews 8 1 now of the things which we have spoken this is the sum Right? This is the conclusion. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. So the Pope is not my minister in heaven. A pastor is not my minister in heaven. Who is my minister in heaven? Who is your minister in heaven? Jesus Christ. And then one more, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 2. Jesus Christ is set down at the right hand of the throne of God as the author and finisher 
of our faith, who is our great example in our walk with God, author and finisher, Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. An individual sits down when he has fulfilled his work, when he has accomplished his task. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Honestly, did he lie when he was there on the cross, when he said it is finished? Did he lie? Did he lie? Did he need his representative, his vicar, to continue the work of advocacy and perpetual propitiation? No! When he said it was finished, it is finished. It is finished. So on your study guide, the born-again believer is a child of God. Your blank is sanctified forever. By the one offering of the perfect sacrifice of Christ on Calvary, he, that is the believer, no longer needs the renewal and perpetuation, P-E-R-P-E-T-U-A-T-I-O-N, no longer needs the renewal and perpetuation of the sacrifice of the cross by some ceremonial rite performed by some sinful man. What is needed is the Father's forgiveness, that's your blank, and cleansing for restoration to fellowship, not re-justification. That's what 1 John 1.9 is all about. That's what 1 John 1.9 is all about. So, five important reasons for the doctrine of the high priesthood of Jesus Christ the righteous. I think that's your next. Okay, good. I got a little lost up here. So, um, let me give you a little bit about the teaching about the high priesthood, the advocacy of Jesus Christ, and why it's so important. And it is very, very important, especially in light of the seducers that are so prevalent today, and especially in the in 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 the um, the flow of the world that it's going in today. Uh, these are things that are essential. These are things that are essential. So, um, a. Is, is there an A? Because sometimes what I have is different than what you have. So A, it is the assurance of our fellowship with God. It is the assurance of our fellowship with God. Uh, Hebrews 2.17 Wherefore in all things it behooved him, that's Jesus, to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God 
to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So one of the reasons why Jesus Christ came in the flesh is so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Okay? That's, that addresses his advocacy. That addresses his advocacy. That addresses his um, being our mediator. Right? He is the one. Through him, we have access to the Father. So on your study guide, so what is it that breaks our fellowship with the Father? Our, huh? You missed a blank. I missed a blank? Yeah. Oh, First John is an epistle of assurances for the believer and their fellowship with God. Thank you. So what is it that breaks fellowship with the Father? Right? We, we hammered on it for quite a while. It's our personal sin. That's your blank. It's our personal sin. That's what breaks fellowship with the Father. Uh, we went to 1 John, you know, 6 through 10. It's all about your attitude in regards to sin in your life. It's, you know, if you take it a, a flippant attitude or if you deny having sin in your life or having committed sin. In other words, if you, if you have a dishonest or um, an insincere attitude in regards to one personal sin life, and, and that could be anything from... Uh, sexual perversion to pride. Alright? So if you're harboring this and you're poo-pooing it away, that's going to break fellowship. Because you're not walking in the light as he is in the light. So we, we spent a lot of time on that. A lot of time on that. So it's our personal sin. Jesus Christ, so this is your blank, in the, in the office of our advocate, advocate maintains this reconciliation between the Father and us. He maintains it. And when sin breaks fellowship, your next blank is he is our assurance that this fellowship between the Father and us can be restored. That's your last blank, restored. He maintains this reconciliation. He's our high priest in heaven. He, he, he's up there on our behalf, right, as a merciful and faithful high priest. Because he's up there, we can be assured that our fellowship can be restored when we confess our sins. Which is very important, folks. Very important. Because when we get into the doctrine of propitiation, there are some folks that say we have to appease God in order to get back into his favor again. But that's not what propitiation is. That's not what propitiation is. Because of Jesus Christ being our high priest in heaven, uh, we have access to the Father. And to restore fellowship, all we have to do is confess our sin. And he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of all, and cleanse us from all sin. Why? Because of our high priest, our advocate. B... We, the blank is we need a righteous advocate because we are prone to sin. Now, who in here has, has lived a sinless life since being saved? Anybody? Raise your hand. Nobody? Really? Okay. Hebrews 7.25 
Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. That speaks to your eternal security, folks. Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. That's his advocacy. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. If, if you're raised a Roman Catholic, that's, you kind of, you kind of see that in the Mass. In the ritual of the Mass. That's exactly what they're doing. Jesus Christ took care of all of that. He took care of all of that. So on your study guide, and I'm not just, I'm not just hammering on the Roman Catholic faith. I'm talking about all faith that are contrary to what God's Word teaches, okay? I was raised a Roman Catholic. I have nothing against uh, Roman Catholic people. It's just their system. It's their system that I think condemns uh, so many. So on your study guide, uh, without our Savior, we are separated from God in our trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says. Because without Jesus Christ as our Savior, here's your next blank, we are fully deserving of God's wrath. We are fully deserving of God's wrath. I can remember the young man that witnessed to me, and he showed me what God's Word had to say. In fact, uh, when he first started witnessing to me, he asked me if I ever read the Bible, and I said, no, I never have. He said, well, he says, do, he says uh, go home and read the book of Revelations. So as a lost man, I, I asked Diane, I said, where's, where's your Bible? And she goes, why? What do you want it for? <laughs> I said, well, I want to read it. And so she showed me where the Bible was, so I spent that weekend reading through the book of Revelations. Oh, me, oh, my. After I got done with Revelations, I knew I was in a world of hurt. You understood it? Oh, yeah. Well, I understood enough to know this. I was not in good shape. (laughs) I was not in good shape. So I went and talked to my friend, and that's when he shared with me the gospel. Right. Because I knew that I was separated from God because of my sin, and I knew that the wrath that that book was talking about, I was a prime candidate for that wrath. I just knew it. So continuing on on our study study guide, so without our Savior, we are separated from God in our trespasses and sins, fully deserving of God's wrath, but Jesus is holy, unstained, separated from our sin, not needing to offer a sacrifice for his own cleansing as a priesthood under Aaron had to do perpetually, or some of these other denominations that do. Uh, being Jesus Christ the righteous, here's your blank, he alone is qualified. He alone is qualified to fulfill the office of advocate before God on the behalf of those who are his. Not pastor, not reverend, not priest, not pope. Only Jesus Christ the righteous. Only Jesus Christ the righteous. 
The Lord's death on the cross of Calvary was a full and final atonement for sin. Amen? Little, come on, amen? There you go. There is no justification for a perpetual propitiation work symbolized by a church service or good works or whatever. He's paid it all. The finished work on the cross purchases for us a full and free forgiveness of sin. Like prisoners condemned to death, we have been pardoned by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Yet, though forgiven, (laughs) we are still sinners. We still sin. Right? We still sin. And that... um, And I'm just going to be very frank about it. That disqualifies us from fellowship with God. Not salvation. Fellowship. Fellowship. Now, come on, folks. It sounds like... uh, Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. If a husband and wife are spatting... Let's say the husband says something stupid or does something stupid, which is generally the, the rule. Is there fellowship? Not much. There's still relationship, but there's no fellowship. Until the husband or the wife humbles themselves and apologize and makes, you know, whatever they have to do to, to repair that relationship, that's when fellowship is restored. And that's just a, you know, that's kind of a weak example, but it's the same thing with us. We don't play games with our sin. We're honest, sincere about our sin. We go to the Father, hey, I really messed up. It's, it's all my fault. It's all on me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. I should have said, it's all on me. It's my fault. Please forgive me. Does he slap you around? Does he ignore you for a few days? Like some wives might do? (laughs) Does he not talk to you? No. No, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. He restores us to fellowship because that's what he wants. That's what he wants. The heavenly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ as our advocate addresses this very issue. Because of Jesus Christ being there, for us in heaven as our high priest as our advocate as our propitiation as Jesus Christ the righteous God willingly freely forgives us and restores us back into fellowship now if that doesn't make you want to shout I don't know what will because there are so many people who are burdened with this thought that they have to appease God in order to get back into good graces we don't because of Jesus Christ which brings us to the next point C Jesus has empathy as a faithful high priest for his own and renders mercy and grace when we sin he has empathy 
Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as like as we are yet without sin. Then he says, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who understands he gets it. <laughs> he has empathy. So on your study guide, here we see the supremacy. Is your word. Supremacy of the advocacy of the Lord over that of a mere mortal man who claims to be in such a role. In Christ Jesus, we have our advocate in heaven before the throne, not in Rome. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. First Peter two, uh, First Timothy two five. For there is one God and one Mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Romans eight thirty four. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have an Advocate here on earth. In Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself making an intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered there is on your study guide there is always this divine connection with God and his children that is never broken this is why we cry out Abba Father that's your blank Abba Father because of the spirit of Christ in us the word Abba is a is a deep relational term. It's like daddy. Can you imagine calling the God of universe your daddy? Well, you can because of Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 6, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. D. Unlike the priests in the old dispensation of the Mosaic Law, and that is men, they die. Jesus Christ's priesthood is eternal, is your blank in heaven. Hebrews 5, 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. He saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Popes pass away, priests pass away, pastors pass away. Jesus Christ is forever. Jesus Christ is forever. On your study guide, the Levitical priesthood in the plan of God, though born of necessity, was an imperfect priesthood to be replaced by a better. To be replaced by a better. That's what Hebrews chapter 7 verses 11 uh, through uh, 22 talk about. Do I have that on your study guide? Eternal. So do I have Hebrews 7:11 on your? Okay, no. Oh, crumb. It is there. Okay. Well, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but that is a rich, rich passage. A rich passage. And there's much there to consider in this passage. But the main thing I want you to see is this. 
We do not require, as I've already shown you that some denominations teach, uh, we don't require somebody to lead us there. Remember when I read that about that fellow that wrote? He, he, he said, we are leading others. They will someday follow us into God's presence, even as Christ's work made it possible for us to get in the presence of God. So in the future, Christ's work and our work will lead the rest of mankind into his presence. They too will have the same privilege that we do. So the whole church of the uh, the first fruits goes first before God on behalf of the people who will follow at a later time. That is that Gnostic elitism that sets aside the clergy above the common man. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. No! I don't need to go through some man or some elite class. Jesus Christ has given me the right to go to the Father. Anytime, anywhere. That's how important the doctrine of his advocacy is. So on your study guide. We who are born again by the Spirit of God through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ have a high priest that has already gained entrance for us before the throne of God by which we draw nigh unto God. He's already gained entrance for us. Already. He is the veil that has been torn in two. That veil that separated the people from the Holy of Holies, he is the veil that's been torn in two. And then E, Jesus Christ ever liveth. To make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.22 By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. We have an everlasting high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So on your study guide, it's not a perpetual bloodless sacrifice like through the Mass that he offers in the heavenly sanctuary before God on our behalf, but rather the pure incense of his intercessory prayers for his people that is presented before the throne. You see, when you go back to the Old Testament tabernacle and all those pieces of furniture... You've got the table of incense and you've got the table of showbread. All of that is a picture of Jesus Christ. All of that is a picture of Jesus Christ. So on your study guide, perhaps the one thing about the office of advocacy concerning Jesus Christ the righteous that we may not consider or appreciate as much we should is this matter of the accuser. That's your blank, the accuser. You know, there's that incident in Luke's Gospel concerning Peter and uh, and the Lord and uh, Luke 22:31 and the Lord said Simon Simon behold Simon hath desi- uh, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for thee 
that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's what Jesus is doing as our high priest in heaven. He's praying for you and me. He's praying for you and me that our faith fail not. He's praying for you and me that when Satan comes along to sift us, that we stand the sifting. So on your study guide, this accuser is relentless. Relentless. Day and night bringing before God accusation after accusation. And sadly, in most cases, a just accusation is your blank of our shortcomings and lack of sincerity. You know, sometimes he's right. That Jeff Trude's a no good. That Jeff Trude doesn't treat people right. And you know what? He may be right. (laughs) He may be right. But that's what the accuser does. You know, the book of Job... um, Remember the story of Job? When the devil came to the Lord and he was talking, they were talking about Job. And uh, Satan said about Job, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is decreased in the land. He says, But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. In other words, he's saying, Well, you know why Job is such a godly man? It's because you made him rich. He's serving you because you made him rich. In another place it says, uh, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to his face. He says, yeah, Job serves you because he's got good health. But once he gets sick, you watch, he'll change. He'll change. He's doing the same thing with you and I. We're just not aware of it. But he's doing the same thing with you and I. And don't think for a minute that our accuser isn't busy before God pointing his finger of accusation at you or at me. But you know who the real target is? Who's the real target of the, of the accuser? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Now don't, don't be fooled folks. He hates you. But he hates who's in you more. If you're, a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got Christ dwelling in you. That's what he really hates. That's what he really hates. On your study guide, one of the laments of Job was that he desired such an advocate as your blank on his behalf before God. Job 16.21 Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. You know, from Job's perspective, he didn't have an advocate in heaven. From Job's perspective, he didn't have somebody up there representing him. Let me tell you sometimes, when you get into trials and troubles, chances are you'll feel the very same way. You'll feel like you're all alone and God doesn't care. Don't fall for that lie. Don't fall for that lie. That's the importance of the advocacy of Jesus Christ. That's why we have to know we have an advocate, because we do. We have one in heaven who is pleading our cause. 
We have one in heaven, our great high priest, who understands what we're going through. He empathizes with us. We have an advocate in heaven who goes to the Father as we are being sifted like wheat, and he prays for us and beseeches the Father on our behalf. Have you ever really considered that? That's amazing. We don't need to go into a little booth and speak to a man behind a screen. We can make an appeal to God himself through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. So on your study guide, as I said, we don't need to go into a little booth or approach a man to appeal before God on our behalf. For we have Jesus Christ, the righteous, as our advocate, and this should prove to be a source of great assurance. When we sin or when our accuser seeks to sift us as wheat. And in the final blanks, the work of our advocate in heaven may be summarized in this way. That his intercessions is for the maintenance of our faith, for our spiritual recovery when we fall, and our future usefulness in ministry and service when we have been restored back into fellowship with the Father. Jesus Christ, our advocate, prays for us and intercedes for us because he wants us to succeed. So next week, we're going to look at the propitiation. So let's go ahead and close out in prayer, and then we'll continue on. Uh, Brian Johnson, can I pick on you to close out in prayer for us?